Welcome to Freaky Pizza Podcast at the intersection of Weird Street and Macabre Avenue. You'll not likely find many podcasts like this one. Each gruesome tale will take you down a rabbit hole filled with psychopathy, revenge, murder, and much more. Subscribe to Freaky Pizza Podcast and receive a notification each week when a new episode goes live. All Freaky Pizza Podcast episodes are written and narrated by me. Welcome to the Freaky Pizza Podcast, episode four. I am your host, Chris, and I will be starting off this week's episode with a personal story from my past. script a story like this out because there are so many details to share. As a matter of fact, it's actually hard to condense the story down into half-hour segments stretched over months because the story takes place over the course of years and years of my life. That said, I'm going to tell this story without scripting it. In other words, I'm not going to write my story out first and then read it aloud as I normally do on the Freaky Pizza podcast. Instead, I'm going to tell the story as I have to my friends and family who have heard it in a normal, natural speaking pattern without any editing other than cutting out my mouth noises or an occasional yawn or something to that nature. My story starts out with me in the sixth grade living in a very small rural community in the Midwest. I was attending a very small school that had a student base of 550 kids. I truly lived out in the country. My stepdad's farm only had a couple of neighbors. One neighbor to the right of us grew pine trees for a living. They had a huge farm of Christmas trees, including blue spruces. Another neighbor was situated across the street from my stepdad. And other than that, there were no neighbors for up to a mile. We lived on a gravel road, and I took the bus to school each day and then again back home. Since we were a one-car family, my mother always had to leave shortly before I arrived home on the bus to pick up my stepdad from his day job. And my stepsister rode a separate bus home from school because she went to a completely different school than I did as she was a few grades below me. Now where our story picks up at is me arriving home from school and being the only person to be in the farmhouse. Now it was a ritual every day that I got home from school. I would turn on the TV and I would tune into a cartoon known as Heathcliff and Gang and I would pour myself a bowl of cereal, usually Cocoa Puffs, and I would go eat that cereal while watching my favorite cartoon. And this day was no different. When I got off the bus, I walked up the gravel road about 
50 feet to where the gate was to our property. I walked up the driveway to the house where I was met by the goose of death, as I called him. He liked to chase me every day and hiss at me and attack me. I escaped his clutches that day, fortunately, and was able to get into the house in a relatively safe manner. And like every other day, I went to the kitchen, made myself a bowl of cereal, and went and turned on Heathcliff on the living room TV. And this is where the story starts to get interesting. One or two minutes into my cereal, I hear somebody behind me say my name, clear as day, but in a very, very deep voice. I knew immediately that it couldn't have been our neighbors across the street because they were both still at work, and they did not arrive home until later in the evening. I also knew that it couldn't be my little sister because her voice just wasn't that deep. I also knew that it couldn't be my mother or my stepdad because they weren't due home for another 35 minutes. I remember thinking to myself, that actually must have been a horse or a cow because my stepdad had plenty of horses and that there were a couple free grazers that just roamed around and we had a lot of cattle. I went on eating my cereal and my attention was drawn back closely to the Heathcliff cartoon. Within another minute of paying attention to the cartoon, I heard my name spoken again, out loud, but this time more loudly. It sounded so real that I fully expected to turn around and see a large man standing behind me. Of course, when I turned around, all I saw was the window to the back of our property. I didn't see any yard grazers out there. As a matter of fact, I spotted them way out in the back 15 acres, hanging out back there eating grass. There were no cattle anywhere nearby, and no goats were to be seen either. At this point, I panicked. I dropped my bowl of cereal, splashing everywhere onto the carpet, and I sprinted to the front of the house where I ran out the door. When my little sister arrived home from school on her bus, I wouldn't let her go into the house. We waited outside for our mom and dad to get home, and I told them what happened. And as you would suspect, they both chalked it up to being a cow or a horse making a sound that I mistook for my name being spoken. To be honest, none of us were very superstitious, but I can tell you with all certainty and without a shadow of a doubt that I heard a voice clearly and distinctly behind me as close as over my shoulder speaking my name. About two weeks after this incident, things would start to heat up on the farm. It was a cold fall day and I had stayed home from school due to being ill. My glands were swollen in my throat and my mother wanted me to stay home. She knew I wasn't bedridden sick, but she didn't want me to spread the germs around to the school kids. My grandmother had recently purchased me a tape recorder. This was one of the old Black & Decker handsets that you could carry around with a retractable handle. It came with a battery option or a wall plug option. And I, of course, always opted to use the wall plug because, well, batteries are expensive. I was listening to the song Panama by Van Halen when my mother called out to me to go to the kitchen and help her peel some potatoes. I paused my song and went into the kitchen to help my mother start peeling potatoes. As soon as I had the potato peeler in my hands, I heard my song start back up in the other room. I make my way back into the bedroom and notice that the pause button is now 
unimpressed, meaning it was up all the way, and my song was playing. I chalked it up to being some sort of electronics glitch, and I went back over and depressed the pause button again. I walk back out into the kitchen and pick up the potato knife and begin peeling a potato. I did not even make it through the first potato when my song started playing again. At this point, my mother and I both looked at each other, exchanging glances. And then we headed off back toward the other room, where the tape recorder was playing the song Panama. We entered the room at approximately the same time, and we both witnessed the tape recorder playing that song again where it had left off when I paused it. My mother walked in and paused the tape again, picking up the tape recorder and flipping it over on its other side, as to kind of check it out and see what was going on with it. The tape recorder was brand new, and had never been used or even unboxed until the day that I got it, which was the day before the day of this incident. My mother took the wire out of the tape recorder and unplugged it out of the wall, so the tape recorder effectively had no power going to it, and since it was a new tape recorder, there had never been any batteries in the back of it. I think you can tell where this is going. My mother and I left that room and went back into the kitchen where we started to prepare that night's dinner again. I recall making it through a couple of potatoes. I'm not sure if it was two or three, but I did get some work done before the song started to play again. And yes, my mother and I both jumped out of our skin at that point because we both knew that the tape recorder had no power going to it. And in the spirit of every American horror film, my mother and I hurried into the other room to face the thing that we could not understand. And as we suspected, there was the tape recorder playing the song Panama by the band Van Halen without any power source going to the tape recorder. It was at this point that we pulled the tape out of the tape recorder. We separated the tape from the tape recorder by moving them both to opposite ends of the house. In the course of a few weeks, I had someone invisible speaking my name over my shoulder when I am completely alone on 15 acres on a farm. Then, my mother and I both witness music being played through a tape recorder with no power to it. And if you think these incidents are spooky, you have no idea what you're in store for. If you'd like to hear more of this story, tune in next week at the same time for this personal story where I will fill you in on what happens after this segment. If you'd like to help support Freaky Pizza Podcast, visit us at anchor.fm forward slash freaky pizza and hit the support button. All we ask for is $12 a year. That's right, folks. You can help support the Freaky Pizza Podcast by donating only $12 a year or 99 cents a month. Apparently somewhere in Russia since 1982, there's been a mysterious radio signal being broadcast. Nobody knows why. And it's on the AM band of 4625 kilohertz. Not the FM band. You want to go to the AM band. And it's been emitting out of two locations in Russia. Apparently one is near St. Petersburg and the other 
is in Moscow, and it operates at a relatively low frequency known as shortwaves, and they travel long distances, so virtually anybody in the world can actually listen uh, to the radio station by tuning in to 4625. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Since 1982, this radio station broadcasts this signal. It's a, it's a dull, monotonous tone, followed by a second foghorn type of a sound. Apparently about once a week, though, someone will also utter some random phrase in Russian like dinghy or farming specialist, and then the droning sound returns. So it's really kind of freaky to listen to. I did go and listen to it myself. I haven't played it for anybody else, but I'm going to actually grab a sound snippet and play it for you here on the podcast. As you can imagine, a lot of conspiracy theories have apparently cropped up around this uh, radio station. When I did a Google search, I found a lot of stuff on the internet about this radio station and YouTube. There are channels where all people do is listen to this radio station around the clock. It's kind of freaky. Some of the conspiracy theories include one that has Russian spies being all over the world, kind of planted and seeded into countries. And this radio station, according to the conspiracy theory, is a way to get messages and signals to them or instructions. Uh, I find this one a little bit out there because you would have to emit more than one tone because the radio station for a week at a time only emits one signal. And if you have multiple spies, operatives all over the world, you're not going to be able to communicate with them by saying one word in Russian a week. So I think that one's kind of out the window. Apparently, another popular theory is that this Russian radio signal is used to communicate nuclear warfare commands. This is another one I find highly implausible. Um, I do believe that in 2020, if Putin was going to issue commands for nuclear war, it wouldn't be over a radio tower that was set up in the 70s or 80s. In 2013, there was apparently a command issued from the radio tower and it said, Command 135 issued. And apparently a man named Manus Goldmanus, and I am sorry if you by some stroke of luck hear this podcast and I slaughtered your name, uh, but he's a radio enthusiast who regularly listens to the buzzer uh, from his home. And he heard this message, Command 135 issued. Purportedly a code message for full combat readiness. And apparently Putin has been asked in the past about this radio station, and he has not divulged any information on it. If I had to speculate on what this weird, freaky radio station is that's been emitting a signal since 1982, I personally believe it could be something along the lines of an abandoned radio station. Simple as that. I believe there's a far greater chance that a radio station was being built for one purpose or another, and then something happened, uh, whether it be loss of funding or an abandoned project, and everybody left. Whatever the case may be, it is a very freaky sound to hear. If you'd like to check it out, just go Google Russian radio station 1982, and there are all kinds of sites where you can listen to it. An 18-year girl suffering from a skin condition known as dermatographia. Don't know if I said it right, but it causes her skin to swell up when touched, and she uses her own body apparently as a canvas for doodles. So (laughs) she's taken something that is effectively a kind of a, a birth defect, I guess, and don't quote me on that. Not a doctor at all, but 
it seems to me by reading the article that she has some kind of condition that she's got to live with. And she's taken that condition and turned it into something that kind of entertains her. Her name is Emma Aldenyard. Not sure if I said her name correctly. Uh, she creates her very own type of body art by running a pencil over her skin. And that causes the line she traces to swell and redden. And it leaves behind temporary doodles that fade after about a half hour. Uh, she apparently lives in Denmark. The Danish teen discovered that she had dermatographia three years ago after her friend noticed that her arms turned red and swollen. Instead of hiding her skin condition, she's decided to embrace it and she uses her body basically as an easel or a canvas for doodles and art. I suppose that's uh, good psychologically wise that the child, uh, well, she's 18 now, but she found a way to entertain herself with something that could be looked at as negative. I applaud her for that. That is very good. When looking up the condition on the Mayo website, I found this definition. Dermatographia is a condition in which lightly scratching your skin causes raised red lines where you've scratched. Though not serious, it can be uncomfortable. It is a condition also known as skin writing. So they already have a nickname for, for what she's doing for this disorder. It's called, they nicknamed it skin writing. And you can literally draw pictures and write words and letters on your skin with this condition. According to my.clevelandclinic.org, this condition affects about 2 to 5% of the population. That seems like a lot to me. I mean, if you take 2% of 100 people, 2% uh, of 100 people is 2 people. So 2% of 1,000 people is 20 people, 10,000 is 200, and so on. It seems like a lot of people would have this condition, although I've never met anybody that has it personally. And I've been on this planet for over four decades. That's not to say it does not exist. I just personally have never heard of it. And when I read about it, I found it very interesting and thought that I should share this weird, freaky stuff with you on Freaky Pizza Podcast. Okay, I've got to say, this one is a bit weird. A UK man allegedly spends over $150,000 to have plastic surgery to make himself look like his K-pop idol. Now, I'm not sure what a K-pop is. I would imagine that it has something to do with popsicles and possibly uh, people whose names start with K? Couldn't tell you. Now, apparently K-pop bands are popular Korean pop bands. And this person's name is Olive Frost, aka Ali London, has allegedly spent a small fortune on plastic surgery over the last seven years in an attempt to make himself look more like his idol. He became infatuated with uh, K-pop icon Jimin, a member of Korean boy band BTS, as soon as he laid eyes on him in 2013. Now imagine spending $150,000. Of course, it shows a American dollar sign in front of the number in the article, um, but this is, of course, in Korea. I can personally think of many better things to spend $150,000 on other than trying to make myself look like somebody else. I could think of many things. Let me list a few. Cars, trucks, boats, planes, houses, trailer houses, motorcycles, jet skis, a new roof, new kitchen cabinets, new tile floors, new carpeting, add on a second story, add on a basement. A couple of thoroughbred racehorses, 
donating it to science to help build a better tomorrow by finding a cure for cancer. Hey, Ali, if it's truly what floats your boat, if it's truly what makes you happy, more power to you, bro. You do you, because if that's what makes you happy, that's really all that matters at the end of the day. It's just too bad how much money you've had to spend in pursuit of your dream. And what I would recommend is that uh, if you're close to looking just like this idol of yours in this K-popsicle band, you should actually um, go ahead and try and get in contact with them or their manager and find out if you can be a stunt double, maybe for when they're doing pyrotechnics or possibly very dangerous things in their videos, you know, dangerous things that that popsicle k's do just you might want to you could make your money back i'm pretty sure that you could probably make some good money if you look a lot like the guy so engineers in germany claim to have created the first man-made non-cuttable material uh, international team of researchers claims to have created the first synthetic cut proof material that actively destroys the tool trying to cut through it. Even the toughest lock can do little more than delay a person properly equipped to cut through them. But engineers at Durham University in England and the Fraunhofer Institute in Germany have come up with a new material that they say is extremely hard to cut through. They call it Proteus, which I think, by the way, is an awesome name for such a material. <laughs> it just sounds godly. The revolutionary synthetic material is inspired not by diamonds and sapphires, which we thought were the toughest natural materials known to man, but by the cellular skin of a grapefruit and the fracture-resistant shells of an abalone mollusk. So they're taking things from nature, from a, a, a grapefruit and a, a sea creature, and mixing those proteins and whatever else they're extracting out of them and creating something that is completely... Cut proof. That is amazing, I think. And uh, hopefully they don't use it to build a Death Star. This one's really great because I am a chocolate lover. Uh, apparently there is a town in Switzerland called Olten, located between Zurich and Basel. And they received a surprise dusting of cocoa after a ventilation system malfunction at the chocolate factory. So it was raining chocolate on this town. There's pictures of it. I think if faced with a decision on what to do if I lived in this town when it rained this wonderful chocolate from heaven, I would probably have grabbed as many containers as I could from the house and stood outside with them collecting as much of the chocolate goodness as I could. Assuming it was legal to capture it and clean and healthy and all of that, but yes, I do love chocolate that much, and I would happily grab some of that if it rained down upon me. This week's creepy pasta, a place where no one dies. By Richard Saxon. As a journalist, I get to travel the country a lot. Part of my job includes a column regarding small town myths and legends. It's not the most factual part of my work, but I still enjoy it. At least I did until I found a town called Silverwoods. According to my anonymous source, it was a place that hadn't changed since the late 50s a remnant of a bygone era suffering from a horrible curse. A myth would have it that nothing there was allowed to die. Mind you, this was before the time of Google Maps. I had to rely on my source's instruction when searching for the town. I fully expected it to be a prank, to be honest, but my job was exactly that, to prove 
or disprove information. I set out on my journey. After a few hours of driving, I pulled onto a well-hidden dirt road. It had been poorly maintained, and it would take me another three hours before I even found a hint of civilization. An old wooden sign, Silverwoods, turn around now, is what it read. In the distance, I saw what looked like an old farming community, just a small town with a few buildings that had partially fallen apart and trucks that had rusted beyond repair. At first glance, it looked abandoned. I parked my car on the side of the road, ready to call the myth bullshit. Then I heard someone call out. Why did you come here? A weak voice said. I turned towards the voice. It belonged to a frail old man holding himself up with a cane. He was bald and his teeth had all but fallen out. Feeling mildly uncomfortable, I introduced myself. Why are you here? I explained that I had been given directions by an anonymous source and that I was hunting down myths and legends. He sighed. Ignorance is bliss. But since you're here, I will give you what you came for. Only then did I notice that his leg had broken. He dragged it around as he limped around. The weirdest part was that his skin was covered in scratches, all looking very fresh. Are you all right? I asked nervously. He ignored the question and simply gestured for me to follow. Are you alone here? No, there are others. On the ground, I noticed what I assumed was a dead bird. Its torso had been ripped open, exposing the organs within. It looked like a cat attacked it, yet it tried to move around alive despite its grave injuries. The bird, it, it's, it's, I tried to get it out. The old man glanced over at it without batting an eye. It's not allowed to die. Nothing here is allowed to die, he said. He led me inside an old house. No sooner had I taken a step through the front door before my nose was assaulted by the stench of rotting flesh. There were a dozen people littered around the room in various states of mutilation, yet they were all breathing, living with impossible injuries. The myth had been proven true, but I couldn't believe it. We need to call for help, I said, as I looked at a guy whose hands had no skin left on them. It would only make things worse. The old man said, I already had my phone out ready to dial 911, but out in the middle of nowhere, I didn't have a single bar of signal to help me out there. Sit down. Let's talk. In shock at the sight, I couldn't find the words to argue. You came here to learn the history of Silverwoods. I'm going to tell you. He said, I sat down and looked at all of the suffering people around me. Most of them were too wounded to speak a single word. 
only letting out groans of agony where they sat. Every single injury looked fresh. It looked like not a single day had passed since acquiring them. Since our town was founded in 1911, we've been a regular farming community. A small town that hardly ever saw any visitors. Most of us were born and raised here, so on the rare occasion that someone passed through, it was no big deal. A cause for celebration. The man took a pause and glanced at his broken leg. Then, in 1956, a man arrived in Silverwoods. With his fancy clothes and expensive car, he starkly contrasted our modest surroundings. He didn't visit for business, nor did he look to settle down in the region. All he wanted was to spend a year with us. At the end of his visit, he promised us a gift never to be forgotten. As he finished that sentence, I heard faint screams coming from outside. They sounded horribly hoarse and emitted a clear message of agony. The man never said much. He just observed us as we went about our days, never shying away from lending a helping hand. He was polite, helpful, and within a month we'd already accepted him as part of our community. Still, he always wore that damn suit and never seemed affected by anything around him. No matter the situation, he was calm and looked in pristine shape. The screams got louder. Amid them, I could hear faint begs for mercy. Then, once his year in Silverwood had ended, he asked us a simple question. What was it, I asked. Do you want to live forever? He paused and sighed. The screams in the background felt even more present, as if they knew I was there. At first, we laughed at the suggestion. Death wasn't an enemy, but we didn't hold it as a friend either. After a lengthy discussion, it all came down to a vote. I guess the outcome is clear. I stepped over to the window and tried to figure out where the screaming was coming from. I wanted to run, but something deep inside me kept me from doing so. I pitied the people of Silverwoods, and I wanted to help them. So, you'll live forever? He nodded. He promised us that our bodies wouldn't age. Alas, without time affecting our bodies, we lost the ability to feel hunger, thirst, and the need for sleep. Our bodies can't even be killed by any injuries, disease, nor destruction. But we can also never heal. Every injury we sustain, no matter how minor or severe it is, stays with us until the end of time. That is our curse. What about all the people screaming? I asked. He sighed. It's coming from the barn. 
That's where we keep the people that want it out. Out? What do you mean? Some people got the idea that they could elude our curse by destroying their own hearts. Others attempted to crush their heads, but they were all wrong. They can't die. They're not allowed to. Uh, how can I help you? Is there any way to stop this? I asked. Then he laughed. It wasn't a cheerful laugh, but one filled with malice. Stop it. We don't want it to stop, he said. Ten years ago, that same man returned to our town. He hadn't aged a day and still smiled cheerfully as he greeted us. He offered us death, release from our horrific lives. Why didn't you accept it? He paused, his smile vanishing from his face. Because he told us what happens to us after we die. And I can promise you it's a far darker fate than the one we've been condemned to.